Opioids are the biggest crisis facing healthcare today, and chiropractors have an important role to play. On this episode of Chiropractical, we're going to take a fresh look and have some new thinking on the topic from Dr. Tim Bertelsman. Dr. Bertelsman is co-founder of the online evidence-based clinical and business resource, ChiroUp.com. He's also a member of the NCMIC Speakers Bureau. Dr. Bertelsman, welcome to Chiropractical. Dr. Bertelsman, can you share some basic stats on the opioid epidemic with us? Absolutely. We're all aware of the painful consequences of that. We see it throughout all segments of society. And one thing that we've recognized is that from the years 2000 through 2010, really, there was a fourfold increase in the number of opioid deaths, which really paralleled the number of opioid pain prescriptions. Unfortunately, we saw that jump from 21,000 in 2010 to 47,000 in 2017. And now as of the last stats, which were two years ago, over 68,000 deaths due to opioids alone. There were 92,000 people who died from a drug-induced overdose that was prescription-oriented. One thing that's interesting is just a couple of weeks ago, we saw a report that said that from 2019 and 2020, 10% of all overdose deaths had gabapentin in their system. So don't know if that's contributory, but our chronic pain patients who are susceptible to opioid use are also susceptible to gabapentin use. And that's where hopefully we can play a role to help solve that problem. The pandemic over the past two and a half years, and especially the early days when we were all at home, that doesn't help with addiction issues. I would expect that these numbers are just going to grow from there. What are some of the common gateways to opioid use disorders? Most of the time, moderate to severe pain. So that may come from a surgical procedure or a post-dental procedure. But a lot of times what you and I and chiropractic physicians see is chronic musculoskeletal pain. Most of the time, that's lower back pain, one of those challenging conditions for many providers. Uh, sometimes it's other things, though, neck pain, whiplash, headaches, especially migraine types of headaches. Patients are susceptible to chronicity, and they look for any alternative. And sometimes they turn to a, a chemical alternative, not recognizing that may have some ramifications that they don't want long term. What tools can chiropractors employ for chronic pain patients to avoid this? I think that as chiropractors, we're uniquely predisposed to help patients with these problems, to help a lot of the patients avoid opioids that we know that our care has been endorsed by a lot of agencies from the FDA through the CDC, the Joint Commission on Health, 37 state attorney generals have all concurred that we need to look for conservative options. And right now, everybody's looking for conservative options to the opioid crisis. And spinal manipulation is one of those tools that no one provides as well as chiropractors provide. Manipulations endorsed by a ton of studies that we have a synopsis that I'll share with you later that has 120 different studies from randomized controlled clinical trials to systematic reviews that say spinal manipulation is effective for a variety of musculoskeletal conditions, particularly those ones that we talked about predisposed to chronicity, the low back pain and whiplash and migraine. We have this incredible tool, manipulation, but one thing that we need to be cautious with is to make sure that as chiropractors, we're looking to transition that patient from passive dependency upon manipulation or therapy modalities into an active role in their own health. Because a lot of times when patients are in pain, they're trying to limit their activity. They think that activity is bad and pain is bad. So they start to back off and they become dependent on passive modalities. We don't want to really transition them solely to just manipulation. We want to get them into active care. We know that adding exercise and rehab to our care plans is something that makes a big difference, especially addressing those functional deficits. 
things like foot hyperpronation and hip abductor weakness or core instability or forward head, forward shoulder postures, which now everybody has. They have postural trainers called mobile phones that they hold in front of them all day long that promote those postural deficits. And those are things that as chiropractors, if we're not addressing those deficits, we're really helping that patient perpetuate their problem because our spinal manipulation is great. It helps the joint regain motion. It helps the patient feel better for a period of time. But as soon as those stressors of life come back on, if those postural deficits are there, the pain comes back on. So we're not the solution that they're really looking for. And that allows them to turn to other alternatives if chiropractic didn't work. I think the other thing that we as chiropractors have the ability to do is to understand chronic pain, to help patients recognize that hurt does not mean harm. Just because it's uncomfortable to go for a walk doesn't mean they shouldn't go for a walk. They should. They should nudge the discomfort every day. It would be good to touch the lower back pain, to touch the knee pain, not through sharp or debilitating pain and not through radiating symptoms, but being uncomfortable is okay. It's actually part of the solution. Those tissues want blood flow. When the patient understands that harm is not necessarily the same as hurt, that patient can learn to help themselves is more apt to do their exercises. The other thing is the patient needs to understand that their brain has the ability to upregulate or downregulate pain. That the same stimulus, our brain is going to decide, do I need to listen closer or do I need to ignore it? Think of a clock. If you're sitting in a room with a clock and it's ticking, within a couple of minutes, you forget it. And that's because your brain, your ears hear it and your ears say, hey, brain, is this, what is this? And your brain says, I think it's a clock. And another part of your brain says, I don't think that's threatening. I think it's just a clock. It's okay. So your brain says, let's forget about it then because I have other things to do. But if you hear a tick in the middle of the night when you're lying in bed and your brain says, hey, what was that? And another part says, I don't know, maybe it was a window or a door. And another part says, could that be a threat? And somebody says, yeah, haven't you watched the horror movies? And so now your brain says, well, let's listen really close because this sounds threatening. That patient has learned to upregulate that same stimulus that would have been the clock. And now it was just a click of a vent or a door or something else. And they're listening careful. And that's what our bodies do in chronic pain. If your patient believes that their problem is really a problem and is threatening, they'll listen carefully. If your patient believes that a little bit of discomfort is okay and it's actually therapeutic, they won't listen as carefully and they can kind of migrate away from that chronic pain. Even having the patient distract themselves, if they're walking and their knee hurts or their back hurts, think about how good your fingers feel. Or think about using a Rubik's Cube in your fingers and how would you move your fingers? How would you twist them and what colors are you looking at? If you force your brain to think about an alternate activity while you're doing something uncomfortable, eventually your brain says, I guess that pain's not that important. They want me to think about something else. So that pain education is crucial so that our patients understand here's what I should pay attention to and here's what I shouldn't. And maybe I do need to nudge the discomfort on a daily basis. Interesting. I'm setting a little bit straighter as we talk. What does the research say about how chiropractors are contributing to the solution? The research has been our friend in the past decade that the research confirms that it's hard to fix a mechanical problem with a chemical solution. That there have been a number of studies from Corcoran and pain medicine in 2019 that said that patients 
who receive chiropractic care are 64% less likely to receive an opioid prescription. And a couple of Whedon studies have said similar things. Whedon in 2020 in pain medicine demonstrated that chiropractic patients had half the risk of filling an opioid prescription. And the same thing with Whedon's study in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine the same year. And then just a couple of months ago, Traeger in British Medical Journal said that patients who receive a chiropractic spinal manipulation for lower back pain with radiculopathy had 50% reduced odds of receiving a benzodiazepine. So another alternative, not an opioid, but another alternative that people are looking at. So we can help not just with the opioids, but we can help patients stay away from other medications. So lots of research saying what we do is effective and not just clinically effective, but also cost effective. There was a study from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, and this was last year. It looked at chiropractic versus other forms of care for workers' compensation claims and found that the overall healthcare costs were $1,300 for chiropractic care, $3,500 for standard medical care, and injured workers who were treated by chiropractors used fewer drugs, about 10 times fewer drugs, and about one-fourth of the imaging, whether that be x-rays all the way up through advanced imaging of MRIs or CAT scans. Big decrease in drug use, a big decrease in the cost of care and the associated costs of care, not just the hard costs of the care and the hard costs of the imaging, but the long-term costs of what opioids do to that patient, to their family, and to society. There's also encouraging research regarding conservative care versus surgery for some of these gateways as well, right? Absolutely. A couple of years ago, the Global Spine Journal, I believe, said that 97% of disc herniations are not going to require surgery, where in the past 10 or 20 years ago, if you saw an MRI with a disc bulge, the next thing that was happening was a surgical consult. And we realize that structure doesn't always equal the source of the patient's pain. A lot of times those structural problems will resolve with conservative care that there's this thought process that if you have a disc bulge or if you have a meniscus tear in your knee or if you have arthritis, it's going to hurt. In reality, that pain doesn't cause structural problems and structural problems generally don't cause pain unless we're dealing with a break or something else. But a lot of the chronic pain processes, it's the function that caused both of those problems in the first place. So dysfunction causes pain and dysfunction eventually causes wearing and disc lesions and meniscus tears. We as chiropractors need to educate our patients that we focus on restoring function to an area and not worry so much about what those structural changes are. We know that there's little correlation between the degree of degeneration and the degree of pain, but there's a distinct correlation between the degree of dysfunction and the degree of pain. So if we think of it as a triangle, dysfunction sits at the top. That's the trigger that trickles down into pain at one corner of the triangle, and it trickles down into structural changes, which is the other corner of the triangle. But the base of the triangle, the pain and the structure don't have a whole lot to do with each other. We focus on function, and that's what we do well. And that Spine Journal study just confirmed that discs usually don't need to be cut out. In the past two years, there have been six major studies looking at do rotator cuff tears need to be sewn back together? And what they found is that no, not really. All of these studies said, yes, there are instances where it does. Certainly, if you have a young person who fell and they had a pop in their shoulder and now they have difficulty abducting their arm, that probably needs to be sewn together quicker than later. 
But if we have somebody who's 50 years old and has had longstanding discomfort and it's been achy and sore for four years and it's just progressive and we see that there are some torn fibers, that probably doesn't need to be surgically repaired. In fact, there was a study not too long ago, a large study that said surgery may provide little or no clinically important benefits with respect to pain, function, overall quality of life, or treatment success when compared to non-operative treatment. And again, I'll provide you with all of these resources at the end. I'll give you a link that you can go and take a look and download any of those things. Great information for your patients, great information for your social media followers, and even for medical physicians that you may work with who are looking for alternatives to medications and surgery when possible. We'll be putting those resources in the show notes as well so our listeners can look there. One last question for you, Dr. Bertelsman. How can we enhance access and awareness of chiropractic benefits? Number one, getting the word out that we're our own best distribution sources for sending out messages that can help sway opinions. The link that you're talking about can be found on a website, chiroup, C-H-I-R-O-U-P.com, and then backslash opioid toolkit, chiroup.com backslash opioid toolkit. You'll be able to download a few infographics that are great social media posts. They're all evidence-based. They have the references incorporated in them, talking about the effectiveness of conservative care for rotator cuffs, talking about disc lesions. One of the papers is a white paper that we wrote in conjunction with the ACA for the opioid crisis. And this is something that a lot of state associations used when they had discussions with legislators. So having those tools at your disposal is helpful. And if there's anyone, especially an association leader on the call who says, I wish we had that. If you'd like us to customize that to your association, we're happy to. You can email me at any point in time, and I'd be happy to do that. That page also has some chronic pain infographics on it as far as helping to educate your patient as to what works and what doesn't work. And I think that there's really never been a better time for us to promote the conservative care message because there's abundant data to say what we do works. And there's an abundant desire for legislators to find solutions to the opioid crisis that don't involve putting more Narcan in police cars. We can help provide that solution as chiropractors, but we have to educate them and arm them. And one of the questions that I always have in my mind is that all of these studies that have said, whether it be annals of medicine that said uh, for acute, subacute, or chronic low back pain, stop prescribing medication and start using spinal manipulation, heat, acupuncture, and massage. When that came out in February of 2017, I didn't see any more referrals the next day in spite of an authoritative clinical practice guideline telling all medical physicians to, to follow those guidelines. And I think the problem is that personal experience trumps the evidence. So if the medical physician reads that a chiropractic care is effective, but she's heard the last four patients tell her they have back pain and it's not working, that experience, the chiropractic didn't work for them, that personal experience trumps data. And the reason that she has that bad opinion is because we only see each other's failures. That if I treat a patient and they respond and they resolve, they don't go back to their primary care physician and say, hey, I saw Dr. Bertelsmann, my back pain went away. I was going to see you, but didn't need to. The patient that goes to their primary care physician is my failure. And the patient that comes to me from their medical physician is the medical physician's failure. And that's why I develop a skewed attitude that there's no chance a muscle relaxant will ever work. Well, sometimes they do. That's why I develop a skewed opinion that inversion tables don't work. Well, they do. I've just never seen one that worked because the ones that work didn't need me. So it's my role and our role as chiropractors to educate medical physicians 
about our successes. The way that we can do that is by sending out initial reports and especially release reports. Notes will not get read. I know the uh, malpractice insurance company absolutely doesn't want to hear that, but it's hard for them to sift through your eight pages of notes. What they will read is a two-paragraph summary saying, Mrs. Smith came in, she had a lumbar disc lesion, I'm going to treat her with spinal manipulation, directional therapy, and home rehab. I'm going to treat her nine times and I expect her to be 50% better. Let's the primary care physician know we're on the same page. I speak your language. I'm not trying to take over and I'm willing to communicate. What's even more important than that is when you're done with that case and Mrs. Smith is 90 or 100% better is sending a note to the primary saying, Dr. Smith, I saw your patient. Mary was treated nine times. At this point in time, she reports 100% improvement. I'm going to release her back to care. It dispels every myth that is preventing that medical physician from referring to you. It dispels the myth that you don't communicate. It dispels the myth that you hurt people. Not only do you not hurt people, you help them. It dispels the myth that you're going to treat them forever. And it dispels the myth that you don't want to be part of the team because clearly you do. If you can imagine a world where every medical physician heard about every chiropractic success story, that would change referral patterns. That world can happen. It happens by you and I making a quick synopsis saying your patient came in, here's how they were treated, here's their current status, thank you for letting me be part of that care. If you need that template that I use, I'd be happy to share that as well. You can email me, tim at chiro.com. But it's something that does change attitudes and changes referral patterns, and it's our responsibility to make that happen. I hope that you use the assets in the toolkit, that you promote them to your patients and social media followers, that you're able to use the white paper for your meetings with legislators, and that your medical physicians are equally impressed by your initial reports and release reports as your patient was. Dr. Bertelsman, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us with this topic. And also, thank you for sharing these resources with our listeners. Thanks for having me, Mike. I always appreciate being able to work with the NCMIC and what you do for our profession. It's time for Ask NCMIC, where we take your questions and have experts provide answers. Life insurance. It's not a topic we really like to think about, but as business people, we need to. We typically think of life insurance as being a vehicle to take care of our families and loved ones in the event that we die. But as business people, we need to think about it a little bit differently. I have an example of a young chiropractor I know graduated from chiropractic school, went into practice with one of his classmates, partners 50-50. They didn't even think about the possibility of one of the partners passing away because they were young and healthy people. One of the partners did, unfortunately, pass away unexpectedly. Now my friend is in practice with his deceased partner's heirs. How do you deal with that? Is that something that life insurance could help with? And it absolutely is. We've invited Amanda Westerholt from NCMIC Insurance Services to explain this to us. Good morning, Mike. Term life insurance is typically the most common type of coverage that people might purchase The reason for that is it's usually the most affordable type of coverage and the easiest to understand because it's pretty simple. When you purchase a term life insurance policy, you select a death benefit in a term, oftentimes between 5 or 10, up to 20 or 30 years. And if you pass away during that term, your beneficiaries will receive a death benefit. However, once your term ends, so does that coverage. Term life insurance doesn't have cash values associated with it like permanent life insurance policies would. 
Okay, so that helps me understand the term life, but what about group? What does group mean in that? The group aspect of term life insurance comes into play when you have an association or a group of folks that have something in common. They use that to take advantage of the size or buying power and experience of that group. For example, a certain group might have characteristics that make it healthier or less risky in the type of activities that they participate in than a general population. A group policy issued to the members of that group could potentially have lower premiums or enhanced coverages that might not be available on a regular term life policy. Can you give the audience a couple of examples of the enhanced coverages available to a group? Absolutely. A couple examples might be an accelerated death benefit, which allows insureds to access portions of their benefits early if they become diagnosed with a terminal illness. Another example might be accidental death and dismemberment. In a situation where a death is ruled an accident, those type of benefits allow beneficiaries to collect a higher benefit than if it's just a a typical death. It also provides benefits when there's injuries that might not result in a death, but if you lose a body part or sustain a vision impairment that is going to stick with you, those dismemberment benefits can kick in on a policy like that as well. Some other group policies will allow you to add coverage for spouses or children, many other benefits that you might be able to work with a provider to get if you so choose. Are there any other aspects of group term life insurance that the audience should be aware of? With some group policies, you might find that you can get a renewable policy. That can be a huge benefit. It allows you to renew that term other than just for the set time that you had access to it initially. When you have a renewable policy, it gives you the ability to extend that term if you want to continue paying those premiums. It allows you to extend that term of your policy without having to improve insurability again. For example, if you have a 20-year life insurance policy and you become diagnosed with an illness, typically you're not going to be able to get coverage after that. In that case, with that renewable clause, you're able to extend that life insurance past that term. If you do pass away because of that illness, that benefit will stick with you for your beneficiaries. Outside of obtaining term life coverage to protect their families, are there other situations in which the purchase of term life insurance could benefit a doctor? Definitely. A lot of times our DCs might be obtaining loans for their practice, and sometimes their lenders are going to require a life insurance policy to make sure that if something happens to the DC, that their business partners or family has the ability to pay that loan off so that they're not stuck with that that debt out there. And as you mentioned, many of our chiropractors might be in a partnership or a, a group of associates that have purchased a building or business together. And oftentimes that might be referred to as key person coverage, where each partner or individual in that business might obtain a policy that would then pay out to the others. So that can help with potential buyout situations if something happens to one of the partners. Amanda, thank you for taking time to talk with us. Very helpful information. Thank you. My pleasure. If you have any questions you would like us to address on Ask NCMIC, please shoot us an email at askncmic at ncmic.com. Thank you for listening. 
Be sure to check out the show notes for resources Dr. Bertelsman provided. Also, if you liked what you heard, please give us a rating on your podcast app. It helps others find our show. Talk again soon. Thank you.